It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, April 27th, 2009. Spring has sprung here in uh, Windy, Anna. Yeah, I've renamed the state that I'm now located in. It's uh, it's not Indiana. <laughs> it is Windiana. In fact, I, I don't think I've ever lived in a place where the weather changed so dramatically and so constantly. I know that's not why you're listening. Well, thank you for tuning in. My name is Chris Roseborough. You're listening to Fighting for for the Faith, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal here is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, to get you into your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of God, in the name of Christianity to the Word of God. Unfortunately, this little exercise in discernment is a must nowadays because many of the people speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ, many of the churches that are out there that have Christ's name on it, on them, um, have abandoned sound biblical preaching and have replaced the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, well, with something else. Uh, one, one of the ways it's described is moralistic therapeutic deism. All right, well, we're starting off a new week here at Fighting for the Faith, and I want to announce, I promised that today we would be announcing our winner of the Worst Easter Sermon of 2009, so we'll be doing that on today's program. Uh, We'll give you a quick uh, update. Uh, Over the weekend, I was invited to to join uh, several seminarians from Fort Wayne Theological Seminary, Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, among them was uh, Evan Gagline, who's one of the co-hosts of a radio program that airs here on Pirate Christian Radio and entitled uh, Table Talk Radio. We also are now covering their uh, their second uh, program called Table Scraps, which is really good stuff. It airs on Mondays. In fact, it was uh, prior to the show. In fact, you'll catch it um, after Internet Monk if you want, are listening to Pirate Christian Radio Live via streaming today, uh, immediately following Fighting for the Faith, uh, we we I kind of am the cleanup hitter, and as soon as this program is done, then we uh, begin our program day over again. And the reason we do that is we're, our goal here at uh, Pirate Christian Radio is to have roughly eight hours of original programming per day, and then we loop it three to hi- three times. And the reason we do that is because we we have a lot of people who listen to Pirate Christian Radio outside of the United States. And so uh, what happens is is that when the broadcasting day ends here in the U.S., it's starting uh, somewhere else, like in Australia or South Africa or Great Britain. So uh, as a result of it, you know, the, our goal, eight hours of original programming, loop it three times uh, for the benefit of our international audience. That's the nice thing about a... Um, a internet-based radio program. Anyway, Evan Gagline uh, was one of the seminarians with uh, that uh, was there, and we went on a field trip to Granger Community Church there in Granger, Indiana. And um, the, the the folks there at Granger were very, very nice and just hospitable, wonderful hosts and uh, gave us a tour of their facilities. We sat in on uh, their service, their 5 p.m. service, and then afterwards uh, met with one of the pastors there 
uh, probably talked for another uh, 40, 45 minutes, you know, talking about our observations about what it is that we saw, what it is that we heard. And so tomorrow on the program, I have, I'm going to have Evan, Evan Gagline in studio with me. And uh, we're going to be doing our Granger Community Church field trip debrief. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, then you know that on Sunday I sent out a, a tweet. Now, some of you are having a hard time accepting this this term tweet. I've come to embrace it, but maybe I should call it squawks or screeches. I, I don't know. But um, I uh, put out a little post on, uh, tweet, on uh, Twitter that basically said, unfortunately... Even though we had gracious hosts, um, our trip to Granger, we didn't hear the gospel. We heard a lot of law. And uh, so tomorrow we're going to be pulling apart really the entire Granger experience from beginning to end and convey to you uh, what it is that was given to us as far as information. During our our tour, we were able to ask all kinds of questions regarding uh, their their philosophy ministry, and they were more than obliging to tell us their uh, their ministry philosophy as it pertains to their use of space, how their volunteers are deployed, and um, I mean, there's some things that are impressive about Granger, and uh, but one of the things I'm bemoaning of the fact is is that you know as wonderful marketers as they are at, at attracting a crowd, um, I didn't hear the gospel. In fact, I heard something that ap- that actually contradicted the gospel. And so we're going to be doing our sermon review tomorrow on our uh, regarding our field trip to Granger Community Church. Today we're going to be doing a listener email after we announce our winner of our Worst Easter Sermon of 2009. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, news today. And if you have small children uh, listening, uh, just want to let you know one of the stories we're going to be covering has to do with another of these seeker-driven churches that's in hot water over the fact that they are um, they're doing a sex series at an elementary school. That's where they're church services are being held. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, I'm going to be reading a story uh, regarding a, uh, a Christian campaign that's declaring the gospel is good news for the poor. Now, there's there's a biblical aspect to this that's absolutely true, but see if let's see if uh, what they're saying is, is really correctly understanding what the gospel is. And then we got international news. There's an advisor who was working for Tony Blair. That's the former prime minister of uh, Great Britain, and uh, he's got a faith foundation that he's uh, put in place. And one of his advisors has quit uh, over comments that uh, Tony uh, Blair made regarding homosexuality. And then today we're going to start um, uh, a new a new Bible teaching series, if you would. I'm going to be walking through uh, the book of Exodus. And the reason I'm going to be doing that is because Exodus uh, is just one of these amazing books that really the types and shadows of it show us our slavery to sin and what God has done. But it's also a great story uh, that shows a historical story. I got to be careful there. This is I'm not a liberal, absolutely historical story that shows uh, bondage to sin, God rescuing uh, the effects of lack of faith and the disobedience that comes from lack of faith. So many people, when they do uh, Exodus, they do it wrong because they only focus on obedience and they miss the faith part. And uh, and then also, uh, when we get to the judgment of, of uh, Egypt, there's a whole section in there that just completely shows penal substitution. So we'll be walking our way through the book of Exodus, and today we're going to look at Exodus chapter 1, and then we're going to be doing our sermon review, and it's going to be kind of a special mention 
Um, the only reason I think this one didn't make it into our mix of worst sermons for 2009 is it turns out that uh, this church, their uh, their media guy was sick the week after Easter. Otherwise, I think this one would have made it into the mix. But this is a, a, a Easter sermon pre- uh, preached by Chris Sonson from South Hills Church in Corona, California. We've done a few uh, sermon reviews from him. It's called Scars. And the reason I throw this into the mix today is because it is a great example. <laughs> I got to rephrase that. It's it's a um, it's a quintessential example of the non gospel that's being preached today by pastors. And uh, this one is a doozer as far as how far off uh, his understanding of the gospel is in this sermon. And so you definitely want to hear this one. And then uh, those of you who subscribe to our podcast via iTunes. Uh, because we're doing a bad sermon review, we will be including in our podcast today an emergency gospel sermon so that uh, so that you can clean your brain out after listening to uh, Chris Songson and hear the gospel preached for you for the forgiveness of sins. One of the things that we work from here, and I think I might have to actually substantiate this, I think it would be a good segment to have, is that uh, in, the, in the New Testament... Uh, we learn over and over again that uh, the gospel is not something that is just preached only to unbelievers. Instead, over and again, we see in the scriptures, we see in the New Testament writings, that the gospel is something that is preached to believers. And why is it that you need to hear the gospel? Well, because you're still in your sinful, uh, corrupted flesh. As a result of it, uh, you sin on on a daily basis. And your flesh is warring against your, the faith that uh, Christ has given you, and uh, so that you don't despair, we continue to come back to the cross. We come back to the gospel and the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins. I think it's absolutely an abomination that there are pastors out there who are only preaching the gospel to unbelievers as if somehow... The gospel, really, the way they preach it, and you've heard it here on Fighting for the Faith in our sermon reviews, they'll preach the gospel and you'll hear about the forgiveness of sins and redemption, um, but it's being preached over the heads of the people who've already made a decision for Christ, Christ, and their whole point is to get you to make a decision. And then once you've made that decision, you don't need to hear the gospel again. You're already in. So the gospel is really something that's preached so that you make a decision, which in effect is basically like getting a spiritual flu shot. Uh, No. We are saved by grace through faith, and we learn in the book of Galatians uh, that we're also sanctified through by grace through faith. And, uh, And so we always come back to the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins for you. I mean, I cannot think of any better news. And when you understand and hear and have it reiterate that Christ died for your sins, yes, you Christian listening to this podcast or listening on Pirate Christian Radio streaming, Christ died for you. You need to hear this comforting and assuring, wonderful good news because you know that you sin daily and you sin much and you need to know that Christ died for you. All right, moving along here, I, I, I guess we could do trumpets and fanfare, but it has to be, again, I, I don't want to overuse this song, but uh, there's our trumpets and fanfare, so to speak, um, for the announcement of the winner of the worst Easter sermon of 2009. <laughs> 
This is a uh, a highly coveted new um, award. <laughs> I don't know if we can call it an, a, a coveted award, but uh, we do have a winner, and it is definitive. It's a, it's a win by knockout, and. Um, I want to thank all of you that have participated by voting online. And so without any further ado, we're going to announce the results of your voting for the worst Easter sermon of 2009. All right, let's kind of go backwards here. Um... Coming in fifth place, there were five contenders. Uh, we had Tommy Sparger of uh, North Point Church in Springfield, Missouri, and for his sermon, Slumdog Millionaire, uh, which was preached on Easter. We had uh, Paul uh, Stebbleton of Velocity Church in Powder Springs, Georgia, for his sermon, Beer Babes and Baseball, which was preached on Easter Sunday. Uh, we have uh, Scott Hodge of uh, Orchard Valley Church in Aurora, Illinois, for his uh, Easter sermon entitled Living Vente. And then we had uh, uh, the Reverend Joel Osteen of the Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, uh, for his uh, sermon, uh, Easter sermon, uh, You Have Comeback Power. And then uh, finally, the, the last contestant was uh, the uh, Reverend Tom Skiles of Spirit of St. Louis Church in St. Louis, Missouri. And we're trying to track something down. Uh, in reviewing the audio tape and getting some emails from several listeners on this, uh, some of you made the claim that he sounds like he's won this Pentecostal. We're trying to uh, uh, get to the bottom of that and find out if he really is one as Pentecostal because after reviewing that sermon, uh, after we've reviewed it, so we reviewed the review, we we agree with those of you who emailed us and said that that sounded like there was some... Uh, modalistic uh, uh, theology going on in there. Anyway, uh, his sermon was Easter in the Octagon. So without any further ado, here's the results. Coming in fifth place, fifth place with only 6% of the vote was Tommy Sparger of North Point Church in Springfield, Missouri, and for his uh, sermon, Slumdog Millionaire. Coming in fourth place with 14% of the vote was uh, Paul uh, Stebbleton of Velocity Church in Powder Springs, Georgia, for his sermon, Beer Babes and Baseball. Uh, coming in third place, right, I mean, almost neck and neck with uh, Velocity Church, was uh, Tom Skiles of uh, Spirit of St. Louis Church for his sermon, Easter in the Octagon. Um, coming in second place with 28% of the vote, was uh, the uh, well uh, goat herder Scott Hodge of Orchard Valley Church in Aurora, Illinois, with 28 percent, and the runaway winner for the worst Easter sermon of 2009 goes to Joel Osteen uh, of Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, for his uh, sermon that was uh, released on Easter weekend. You have comeback power. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be sending out a pirate Christian radio pack, you know, a, a promotional pack to the Reverend Joel Osteen. And I might even announce this to the media that the Reverend Joel Osteen has won our prestigious award that, uh, uh, you know, for the worst Easter sermon of 2009. And uh, since Scott Hodge came in a close second, I think I'm going to be sending him a, a promo pack, too. 
because he was, after all, my vote. I did vote for Scott Hodge. Just want to let you all know that. So there you have it. Thank you for playing along, and thank you for voting and uh, and listening. And uh, those of you who took the time to listen to all of these uh, all of these bad sermons of uh, Easter, hopefully through this award we can raise awareness of the fact that Jesus is the reason for Easter too, not just Christmas, and that uh, we want pastors to bring Christ back and put Christ back into Easter. What a thought. Oh, boy. Okay. Now, uh, moving along here. Uh, hang on a second here. Let me pull this up. Uh, we got, we're getting ready to do our vintage news music here. Well, that's different. Hang on a second here. We're having computer issues. Of course, it couldn't possibly be user error like, you know, me that's responsible for the problem. <laughs> All right, we read from foxnews.com. A church giving sermons about sex faces the boot. <sighs> yeah. I'm going to do this uh, news story before we do our listener email. That's right, uh, from Melbourne, Florida. Okay, now, uh, how many times... This is the second time I've heard of a church that's gotten into hot water about uh, about doing a sex sermon series. Um, a church giving uh, sermons about sex may have to find a new home. The Brevard uh, Public School District Risk Management Department has threatened to boot New Hope Church out of uh, Sherwood Elementary because of a worship series entitled uh, Great Sex for You. Church leaders mailed out 25,000 flyers asking residents, is your sex life a bore? Uh, the three-week program Kicked off inside the school auditorium, uh, Pastor Bruce uh, Cattle said that the uh, Christian church has been shamefully silent on the taboo topic of sex, which is a complete bunk. That is just not true at all. In fact, if you, if you think that the church has been silent about the issue of sex, I would recommend that you take a look at the Museum of Idolatry. Go to www.alittleleaven.com. And click on the uh, link that on the right-hand side that says Christian Erotica. Y- yes, we have a Christian Erotica wing at the Museum of Idolatry. And, uh, you know, <laughs> let's just put it this way. Uh, there, we, we're, there's all kinds of churches out there that have been uh, doing these sex sermon series, you know, from the 30-day sex challenge. You ever heard of Ebor City there, uh, Pastor? Uh, Ebor City is right there in Florida, and uh, the pastor from, from that church made national headline news when he issued his 30-day sex challenge. That would be Paul Worth. And uh, Paul Worth, it, it's, it, he was copied by Ed Young, but Ed Young only did it for seven days, and he got national attention. And Granger Community Church here in uh, in Indiana, uh, Windiana, sorry, they they just recently finished up an entire sermon series on uh, on sex as well. I mean, and they issued their own thirty day sex challenge. In fact, it. it um, if you just go, I mean, well, let's see. We've got a, a church here, Keystone Church. They issued a, uh, uh, they had a sermon series called Crazy Love, uh, and then we've got uh, another seeker-driven church in Kenosha, Wisconsin. They almost lost their uh, their space when they did uh, their sermon series. Uh, uh, Thank God for sex, and then we got another church. They they did one called Stripped uh, the Naked Truth on Sex, and then you got Stephen Furtick's. Um, uh, 
church there in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. They recently finished up a uh, a sermon series entitled "Visionary Love: Dream Sex," and uh, and then you've got. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see, there was a sacred sex series by, uh, the, fo- you know, the, I mean, literally over and over and over again, it's it, this idea that the church is somehow being shamefully silent on the issue of sex. That is just a tired and bunk statement. And by the way, just so you know, uh, where did, um, where did this uh, this church here in Melbourne, Florida, the New Hope Church, get their material for their uh, sex sermon series from Granger Community Church? They bought the whole kit online, including the 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 already created website with the flash intro and and the, all the pictures of the of the naked feet under the bed, you know, under the covers. Uh, this is ridiculous. I mean, how many times? Are these churches going to be allowed to make the claim that the church isn't talking about sex when it seems like all these seeker-driven churches, the only thing they ever talk about is is sex? Anyway, um, the nice thing is is that the the local affiliate there for the for the local news in Florida, there in Melbourne, they actually. Uh, Put up some audio. Uh, act, well, actually, it's some video. We'll play the audio. Uh, just some little sound bites from. Uh, let's see, New Hope Church uh, there in uh, in Melbourne, Florida, and uh, it, here's their audio on on their story. You know, it's, it seems like it seems like it's okay for everybody else to talk about sex except the church. Uh, we just pointed out that um, the church is doing nothing but talking about sex, it seems. At least that's the predominant theme of all these seeker-driven churches. It's okay for anybody else to have this discussion. Any TV show, any magazine cover, any website. It's okay for them to talk about sex, but it seems like it's not supposed to be okay for the church. And by the way, I grew up in the church. Uh, you know, attended Pasadena Nazarene, uh, went to Christian high school. Uh, they didn't have any problems talking about sex back then. I mean, all the way back in the Stone Age in the 1980s. Uh, none whatsoever. I don't know where you grew up or what churches you were in, but uh, the pastors that I had, they at least still preached from the Bible. And when the issue would get brought up in the Bible, you know what they'd do? They'd preach about it. To talk about sex. And so for many years now, the church has been silent on this topic. That is complete bunk. No, it hasn't. The church has never been silent on the issue of sex. I don't know where. I mean, did you grow up in Prudland? Is Prudland land right next to Melbourne, Florida? For heaven's sakes. I think shamefully so. We just started a new series called Great Sex for You, which, which sounds kind This is uh, Pastor Bruce Cattle of New Hope Church in Melbourne, Florida. Yeah, how far away are you from Ebor City and uh, Paul Worth and uh, Relevant Church? Ursiel, except that uh, you know that Ed Young's uh, congregation has a satellite campus in Florida too. I got. Did, uh, did you miss that, Pastor? That uh, that they were. Never mind. God is the. Yeah, how is it that the if the church never talks about sex, that you were able to buy an entirely prepared sermon series off the Granger website? Complete with a 
fill-in-the-blank press release to let the media know that you were being brave, that you were being cutting-edge, that you are bucking the Christian church and talking about the thing that they never have been willing to talk about. Ugh origin of sex he created man he created woman he created marriage and says that when you know what uh, pastor I completely agree with you yes god made these things you know what though if you're going to preach the whole counsel of the word of god um when are you doing a, a sermon series on the uh, the doctrine of the trinity or the deity of christ or salvation by grace through faith alone uh, by what Christ did. How about a sermon series on the biblical underpinnings of the penal substitution? Uh, you know, I, and when you do that, will you be sending out a press release and and cards to let everybody know that you're going to be preaching about the deity of Christ uh, or the crucifixion um, and what it is that Christ accomplished? I mean, those are Christian doctrines too, aren't they? So will you be putting as much effort as you've put in to let the world know that you're doing a <gasps> sex series? Are you going to let them know uh, when you do a sermon series on, uh, you know, to something as mundane as the, the epistle of, uh, to the uh, Romans? You know, you could do that. Send out a press release. Let them know that you're doing that, too. You probably won't preach on that, will you, huh? A uh, man and a woman commit to each other through marriage that he gives them uh, sex as a gift, uh, as a blessing, as something to enjoy. And sex between married believers is a holy activity. It's not a dirty activity. It's not a shameful activity. It's a holy activity. And, and the Bible is so clear about this, but it's still hard for us to get. I, I still remember a conversation. Uh, really? Uh, this is not hard to get. I mean, even when I was growing up back in the Stone Age during the 80s in Christian schools, I was told by my teachers, by my youth pastor, by H.B. London, by James Dobson, that sex was a beautiful thing that was supposed to be saved until marriage and enjoyed in marriage. That's what I was told. Yeah, how is it that the church never talks about it if that's what I was told back in the, you know, the ancient 80s? Just, you know, just I'm, I'm, I'm curious. We continue. Valerie and I had several years ago with another couple, and this couple mentioned that they had made love while Christian music was playing on their radio. And I don't think I said anything, but on the inside, I freaked out. I mean, I was like, what? You can't do that? You can't make love while Christian music is playing. Oh, my gosh. I love Christian music. I listen to Christian music. I love our worship music here. Uh... But in my mind... I still didn't get it. You need us back. Uh, yeah, and funny thing there, I still think you don't get it. Our church has experienced wonderful growth to where we literally outgrew our building. And so we're now renting uh, the uh, auditorium at Sherwood Elementary School. We pay a, a monthly rental fee. And in a time of financial crunch for the school board, we're just glad that we can be a blessing by putting some money into the, the school's hands. Yeah, apparently, though, they're a little upset about what you're doing there and how you're marketing themselves yourself. And the funny thing is, is that the world gets it and you don't. The world is offended by what you're doing, and you have no shame because you're sending out all of these 
flyers that is basically making the school district uncomfortable. Subjects that we teach on, the things that we talk about in our uh, worship services, our sermons, our children's ministries uh, are not sponsored or endorsed by the school or the school board in any way. And read these verses with your kids. You won't be embarrassed. It was God saying this stuff. And so you can just say to your kids, let's just look and see what God has to say. Use the word of God to engage your children. They've got questions. About- yeah, something tells me that if we were to do a sermon review on your sermon, that it would be just as vapid and uh, shallow as any of these other guys who've tried to be cutting-edged with their sex sermon series. Anyway, all right, when we come back, we're going to be doing a listener email, and then we're going to continue on with our news. We're kind of mixing things up a little bit today. Uh, here at Fighting for the Faith. want to remind you that if you want to email me, you can at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. You can look me up. My name is Chris Rosebro. Or if you would like to get our secret communiques, stuff that I'm sending out that doesn't make the cut here at uh, for the radio show, not always, uh, you can do so by following me on Twitter. My name there is Pirate Christian. All right, we'll be right back. Being good in the sack is not the measure of true Christian sanctification. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quando. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. I'm here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Quando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. Do you think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now, for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church.
We live in a time when there are full-out attacks against the gospel and sound biblical doctrine. One particular threat that you need to know how to protect yourself from is the attack against the doctrine of the penal substitutionary atonement. J.I. Packer called this doctrine the heart of the gospel, and this doctrine is now being openly attacked by liberals and emergents alike. This is why Pirate Christian Radio is featuring the book Pierced for Our Transgressions, Rediscovering the Glory of Penal Substitution. This book lays out the biblical underpinnings of this non-negotiable doctrine as well as its rich historical pedigree. After reading this book, you'll have a deep biblical understanding of what Christ accomplished for you on the cross as well as possess a sound biblical and historical defense against those who are attacking this important doctrine. Pierce for Our Transgressions is available at piratechristianradio.com and is only $25 plus $4 shipping and handling and all proceeds help to support Pirate Christian Radio. So log on to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. Dishing up a daily dose of biblical discernment. All right, before we get to uh, listener email, I want to remind you that Fighting for the Faith is listener supported radio, which means that your financial support is vital in order for us to continue to bring you this important program. Uh, you can support us financially by visiting fightingforthefaith.com and clicking on the Donate button, or if you would like to do it the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, got a, a listener email here from Roxy Lee. Roxy Lee is a musician, and we've played, uh, we, in fact, we did a world premiere of one of her uh, songs here on Fighting for the Faith. Uh, I think it was Get Out of the Pulpit. <laughs> it was a very subtle, um, almost emergent, uh, soft, softly spoken song that she wrote there. Uh, she writes, she says, uh, she says uh, Chris, sorry for the late rep- reply, but I am way behind on podcast listening this week. I heard your talk on baptism, and it's not radical. It's the way it's supposed to be, as seen throughout Scripture. When baptism is brought up in the Bible, the pattern is repent and be baptized. It is supposed to come right after someone believes, not once you make an appointment, then wait five until five more people make appointments. I left a church two years ago based on many things, one being that my daughter had wanted to be baptized, and I asked the pastor a few times. His reply was, sure, I'll, I'll set that up soon. Only he never did, because it would have meant driving to a lake or a pool that wasn't convenient. My daughter went on to college and uh, hasn't been baptized, and <clears throat> I admire the pastors who care and fe- uh, care for and feed uh, uh, those, uh, sorry, and those, and <clears throat> so. She, and she asked, how's my son doing? My, uh, Joshua's doing, by the way. He's doing very well. He is uh, in, in the Carolinas, and he's at nuclear training school. Uh, in the Navy, and he's thriving. He's doing very well. All right, I got an email here from Chick3. Okay, Chick3, right? She's, um, she says, uh, ah, 
<laughs> she says, my whole letter would be in caps because of my excitement. And she says she's, she's excited in a bad way, not a good way. Uh, but she said that she wouldn't do that because caps are not fun to read. And she says she's sick over this. She says she's got two questions, and I hope you can help. Here is the dilemma. My homeschooling group. We get together to have classes for our children and to spend time with other Christian homeschoolers, and we pray together. And this group is a Christ-centered group. So she apparently, uh, as a homeschooler, uh, Chick 3 has a support group that she meets with other Christian homeschoolers uh, for for helping with teaching, uh, support, praying, and it's a Christ-centered group. And she says, this past summer, there were some people in our group who could not sign the statement of faith. And uh, they have to sign it in order to teach, but they don't have to sign it in order to join. Uh, they couldn't sign it because it states that salvation is offered as a gift free to the sinner. Uh, this must be responded to uh, by individual faith, not trusting in any personal works whatsoever. And uh, in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ alone. Mm, Sounds like you guys are, uh, you're you're pretty serious there, at least you have been serious about uh, this group being truly a Christian group based upon Christ and what he's done for us. Anyway, the people who couldn't sign it, they are Catholics. Uh, She says, I didn't realize there were any Catholics in the group until this. Uh, Their priest said that they could not sign it. Yeah, and the reason why they can't sign it is because Catholicism does not teach salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. And Catholicism, um, your baptism kind of gets you in. And and this is really interesting. You get an infusion of grace. Think of it this way. Those of you who have cell phones, you ever have your cell phone die on you? Yeah, well, we all have. Um, you know, I have an iPhone, and what happens is, is that uh, if you leave it off of the charger for you know a few days, you go to turn the thing on, it's completely dead. Well, in the Catholic way of thinking, uh, what happens is, is that uh, when you are baptized or you initially come to faith, however they would define that. You get an infusion of grace, which is like basically plugging your cell phone in for the very first time, and it jump starts it so that it can crank up and come to life. Now, uh, when you when you plug your phone in, what'll happen is you'll see a little icon that shows how full your battery is, right? And uh, and so what happens is is that the way you fill your battery is through your good works. It's through going to confession, uh, going to the mass, uh, and the different sacraments that they've set up. And what happens is is that as you are mortifying your flesh, as you're doing your good works, as you're serving God, serving your neighbor, and you're you're coming to mass and 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 all that kind of stuff, then what happens is that's like you plugging in the cell phone. Uh, so that the battery continues to work its way up. Now, uh, if you can attain perfection before you die in this lifetime, you know, before you, you stop breathing, if you fill the battery all the way to full and beyond, okay, uh, then you can go immediately to heaven. Now, if you, if you die and your battery isn't fully charged, uh, then you go to purgatory uh, to work off that uh, bad karma, if you would, you know, and fill up the, what was lacking in your salvation here on earth because it's up to you. So it's truly a works righteousness scheme that, that Catholicism has concocted. And uh, and I'm not ta- this is not Christianity, and this is not what was taught in the ancient church either. 
Anyway, it, uh, so uh, <clears throat> so she said that we had to uh, vote to keep it or to change their doctrinal statement. So they had to take a vote to keep their doctrinal statement or change it uh, to the Apostles' Creed, which they would be able to sign. Yeah. Um, well, here's the deal: is that uh, the three ecumenical creeds? Yeah, I the Catholics confess it, uh, the Lutherans confess it, you can confess it, um, but it it um, it doesn't overtly teach salvation by grace alone through faith alone. So, a, a, another creed that I confess on top of the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. Is uh, is the Apollo, is the Augsburg Confession, which clearly teaches salvation by grace through faith alone, which they deny. And in Trent, they anathematize that. So anyway, she says that uh, it it okay. So they took a vote uh, to change it to the Apostles' Creed, which they would be able to sign. It passed uh, to keep it the same, so they didn't change their doctrinal statement. A revision committee met uh, to, I thought anyway, come up with something long-term in this regard. Well, they decided to say that the uh, that the only leaders only leaders have to sign it. People who teach will only have to sign a paper saying that they won't say. Uh, or do anything in opposition to the statement of faith, even though we believe it contains a fair and accurate description of the essentials of the Christian faith. We voted on the change, and only four of us voted no. I asked someone how they could fellowship, which I feel is a big part of the group of uh, of our groups uh, for the adults, and still have non-Christians in our group. Uh, and she's citing Second Corinthians uh, uh, chapter six. The reply was uh, how wonderful it would be to fulfill the Great Commission and maybe see people saved because they are surrounded by the love of others at the group. Uh, my reply was fellowship and evangelism are two separate things. They should not be meshed together. Uh, they also couldn't understand how I could put Second Corinthians chapter 6 in context with our group. So uh, Chick 3's question is, uh, first question, can you mesh evangelism and fellowship? Answer, no, you can't. And the text that you cited makes that very clear. Let me, uh, let me pull up your, your text at this point. Second Corinthians chapter 6. And it's near, um, it says this, starting at verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. What accord has Christ with Belial or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, this is specifically really talking about Christian fellowship and who we should hitch our wagons with. Um, This has nothing to do with evangelism. Evangelism is where we send people out, go out and preach the gospel, share the good news, and then uh, and and that's what evangelism is. And, and when you're evangelizing somebody who's not saved, somebody who doesn't believe or believes uh, falsely, you you could obviously you know you can have them to your home. You can meet with them at Starbucks. You can, but that's not fellowship, not in the truest sense of the word. Fellowship is this concept of koinonia. In fact, if I were to look it up, fellowship. Um, 
Okay. Uh, Acts chapter 2, 42 says this about the early Christians, that they devoted themselves to the Apostles' Creed, to teaching, and to the fellowship. The Greek word being koinonia. Here's what it, here's what it means. Hang on a second here. It's a close association involving mutual interest in sharing, association, communion, fellowship, a close relationship. Um, yes, attitude. Okay, so that's the idea. Now, here's the deal. In a technical sense, and I'm going to say this in a, in a, in a technical sense, your Christian support group, your, your home Christian homeschooling support group is not technically a church meeting. And I'm going to say, and the reason I'm going to say that is, is because, um, you know, you don't have a pastor presiding, I'm assuming, and you don't meet expressly in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, for the purpose of, uh, devoting yourself to, uh, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers, and, uh, and the apostles teaching. Although from the sounds of it, you Christians exercising the priesthood of all believers, us called out Christians, the whole purpose of your support group is mutual encouragement, is fellowship, is reading God's word, and maybe even breaking bread together, uh, because that's something that you all have in common on top of the fact that you all have common ground as well on the homeschooling issue. Now, I think what's happening here is is that I think it, you know it would be so obvious if... Uh, the, the the people in the group who wouldn't sign the doctoral statement had a little red dot on their forehead and they claimed to worship Vishnu uh, and they were Hindus. It'd be like, well, we've got to be real careful here because you don't want to have them influencing anything spiritually, especially as it pertains to your kids and each other. And so there's a time and a place for evangelism and there's a time and a place for fellowship. Your group specifically is designed to be a support group for Christians as defined by a particular doctrinal statement. That being the case, you should keep your fellowship fellowship and your evangelism evangelism and don't mix the two. And, um, you know, and, and if you would like your unbelieving Catholics, and I say that, I know that's going to really irk some people because they don't trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Uh, you have to treat them as an unbeliever, uh, as somebody who has rejected the grace of God. Um, yeah, that being the case, I mean, if they want to sit in and you guys are the ones in charge, you guys are leading the thing, and you're not giving them the floor, the floor to uh, to undermine what the scriptures teach with their false doctrine. I mean, that's a dicey situation. I mean, if the whole point is that you guys have a, a, a Christian fellowship group, uh, then it sounds like they're selling out, which, by the way, is exactly what we're seeing in these seeker-driven churches. They're turning the time when people actually are supposed to gather to you know celebrate the Lord's Supper, receive uh, God's Word, receive uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, they've turned that into evangelism, and look at the mess that that's created. So I think you're right, and I think the passage you brought up was absolutely correct, and I read the rest of your email that you wrote to them, and the idea here is is that um, you know the group was designed to have you know a particular mission that you guys were there for fellowship specifically and support with for each other, and that you know in, according to your email, there was breaking bread going on and you know, all that kind of stuff that being the case. You know, I wouldn't be comfortable uh, staying in a group where they had such a lack of discernment that they can't separate evangelism uh, from fellowship, and the whole point of the group is fellowship. 
that being the case, uh, you know, I, I kind of read down, further down the line where you told them that uh, that you wouldn't be attending their group uh, start, you know, the next the next year. And I think you're justified in doing that because I see this group um, with, with the lack of discernment that they're engaging in and the blurring the lines between fellowship and evangelism that ultimately nothing really good comes about this and they're going to end up being as muddied and confused as a lot of these seeker-driven churches. So, And you were right in standing on the, on the passages that you did. I don't see that you were out of line in bringing that up at all. All right, moving back to the news. Uh, here we got an interesting one. Uh, the headline reads, Advisor quits Blair's Faith Foundation over gay comments. Uh, this is from the Christian Post, and uh, the subhead reads, Former uh, Prime Minister Tony Blair's Faith Foundation has suffered a setback following Blair's comment that the Catholic Church should modernize its view of homosexuality. Oh, boy. Um, and, by the way, uh, Tony Blair is supposedly a recent convert to Catholicism. Apparently, he hasn't been well catechized. We, uh, we read, uh, Dateline London, former Prime Minister Tony Blair's Faith Foundation has suffered a setback. Uh, uh, William Chapman, who also served as one of Blair's prime, uh, prime ministerial aides, has resigned as the policy advisor for the foundation following rumors of a split caused by Blair's lecturing of the Pope on homosexuality, according to the Telegraph. Now, there's a lot of things I disagree with the, the Pope on. This is not one of them. When the Pope basically says the Bible says the homosexuality is a sin, it doesn't matter what else he teaches regarding justification and worship of the saint, uh, prayer to the saints and things like that. He's right on this issue. Anyway, um, a, a friend of Chapman claimed that he was not happy about Blair's recent interview with the gay magazine entitled Attitude. During the interview, Blair said, quote, organized religions face the same dilemma as political parties when faced with changed circumstances. Really? So organized religions, you know, this is a, that we need to stick our finger, you know, lick our finger, stick it up in the air and figure out which way the pre- uh, prevalent winds are blowing. Politicians do that, by the way, in order to somehow garner support from people and to remain in power. Um, but the church isn't, nah, we don't do it that way. Truth is true no matter when it's stated. Um, and God has said that homosexuality is a sin, and it doesn't matter if the entire world decides that they're going to embrace homosexuality. The job of the church is to proclaim the truth that homosexuality is a sin and call people to repentance and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Anyway, so uh, Tony continues, says, you can either, A, hold on to your core vote, basically, you know, say, let's not break out because if we break out, we might lose what we've got, and at least we've got what we've got, so let's keep it. Or, B, you could say, let's accept that the world is changing and let us work out how we can lead that change and actually reach out. Uh, You forgot option C there, Tony. Um, Option C is remain faithful to God's word. Uh, Let God be true and men be liars. That would be option C and the correct one for the church. He continued, when people quote the passages in Leviticus condemning homosexuality, I say to them, well, if you read the whole of the Old Testament, look at everything that was there in a literal way as being what God and religion is about, you have some pretty tough policies across the whole of the piece. 
Uh, Tony, do you want? Oh man, no, no idea. Concept between uh, moral law, ceremonial law, and the laws that were specific to the Hebrews. But either way, it's really clear homosexuality is a sin. The friend of Chapman said that he felt his job, which had been to persuade Roman Catholic cardinals to become involved in the foundation, had become impossible following Blair, uh, Blair's remarks. Yeah, I could see why. Lamenting Chapman's leave, uh, Ruth Turner, chief executive of the foundation, said William has uh, been a very uh, important part of the establishing the foundation. The work has uh, uh, the work he has done will be of enduring value. Yeah, the pro- Tony, uh, I'm so glad that uh, you know that you're embracing some kind of a, a Christianish type faith. Um, but lecturing Christians, especially the head of your church, uh, telling him that he should stick his finger into the wind and you know and get in front of the change and lead it regarding where the culture is going—that's ridiculous. That is absolutely ludicrous. Uh, you wouldn't be making that same argument if the if the culture was basically saying, you know what, we really need to do with um, with spineless jellyfish uh, politicians who uh, who all they they never tell us what they actually think or believe and are always trying to blend in with the culture. Uh, that the solution to this problem is to take them outside of the city gates and throw rocks at them until they stop dying. If the if, what if that became a popular view? I mean, I mean do, that being the case, I mean, you know, let's say 54% of the population thought that that's really what we need to be doing with um, with spineless politicians. Would you be basically telling the Pope, well, you know, you need to get behind, you got to get in front of this and lead the charge. You know, you know, it, it doesn't matter that the Bible says, says don't murder. Um, I, you know, you got to do, you know, you got to be practical here. You got to, you got to garner as much support as you can and if 54% of the people in the population want to stone politicians we need to as a church not condemn that as murder by the way that's called a reductio ad absurdum and I recommend learning how to use them because it always makes the point a little bit more poignantly alright next uh, next news story here see if this is the gospel um, the headline reads, Christian campaign declares gospel is good news for the poor, uh, which, by the way, there are some really good biblical passages along this line. But see if those are what is being talked about. Uh, Dateline, Washington. This is a, a Christian Post story written by Michelle Vu, who is a staff uh, reporter or, for the Christian Post. She writes, uh, surrounded by stained glass windows, dark wooden pews filled with people and soaring voices of a black gospel choir, Christians from across the country gathered inside a Baptist church Sunday night to proclaim that the gospel is good news for the poor. Okay, now hang on a second here. Um, I'm going to pull out my uh, computerized Bible, and we're going to do a word search for poor. Um, in particular, I'm looking for... Okay, here we go. Uh, Luke chapter 4. And uh, let me pull this up in context. Luke chapter 4. The the verse that we're looking for is in uh, is verse 18 of uh, chapter 4. But I want to read this in context and see, you know, let's, let's take a look. I mean, there, like I said, there's a way that you can get this to work, sort of, kind of. But let's see if that's what he's talking about. Now... Uh, when Jesus came to Nazareth, this is Ch- Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. 
And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And as he stood up to read, and uh, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, a daily lectionary there, by the way, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it to uh, back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So um, that passage in Isaiah, which Jesus read, um, clearly says that uh, we're to proclaim good news to the poor. And what is the good news that the Christian church is to proclaim to the poor? By the way, Jesus was reading from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Is the good news of the Christ, that Jesus was proclaiming to the poor was we're going to rage war on poverty and we're going to lick it and uh, rescue from poverty. Is that the good news that we're supposed to proclaim to the poor? <clears throat> All right. So surrounded by stained glass windows, dark wooden pews filled with people and a soaring voices of black uh, gospel choir, Christians from across the country gathered inside the Baptist Church Sunday to proclaim that the gospel is good news for the poor. As a pastor spoke about the, quote, spirit of justice, a crowd of some 1,000 people sitting in Shiloh Baptist Church eagerly responded with amens. Um, thus began the first day of mobilization to end poverty. A large-scale anti-poverty event drawing Christians and politicians alike. Um, mobilization to end poverty. Did Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, you know, right before, you know, where he gave the uh, the disciple, you know, the the Great Commission. There's two versions of it. One in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, the other in the Gospel of Mark. Did Jesus say, "All authority has been given to me on, you know, uh, uh, in heaven and on earth"? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to go and end poverty once and for all. No. That's not the gospel. Okay. Thus, the first day of mobilization to end poverty, a large-scale anti-poverty event drawing Christians and politicians alike. I wish all the wonderful people of God who have come here in this holy place during the next few days to speak up and speak out to members of Congress, the administration, to do everything that we can to relegate and put the issue of poverty ahead, said Rep, uh, Rep, Representative John Lewis, Democrat from Georgia, who delivered the message on Sunday. I thought there was supposed to be a separation of church and state. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay for there to not to be a mixing of church and state when it's a congressman, a Democrat congressman giving the sermon at a church. All right. Lewis, a prominent civil rights leader who was educated at the American Baptist Theological Seminary in Nashville, said that although Christians pray, read the Bible, deliver sermons, and enjoy beautiful worship music, there comes a time that we have to move our feet. Uh, okay, do you move your feet when the music's good? Uh, anyway, he also dismissed the popular view that poverty only affects the uneducated, unskilled, and those unwilling to work hard. 
Now the economic crisis shows that the poor can be computer scientists, financial advisors, and other highly skilled workers. We need in America more than anything, I think, a revolution of values, a revolution of ideas, Lewis contended. Uh, During the four-day event on April 26th to the 29th, mobilization to end poverty participants will engage in activities, including visits to members of Congress on Capitol Hill. Yeah, because that's going to end poverty. If... You know, if ending poverty, all it took was going to visit a congressman, you would think we would have figured that out by now. Anyway, um, uh, to visit members of Capitol Hill uh, with the hope of getting people out of poverty in the United States and beyond. Event leaders point to the Bible as the source of inspiration, saying that a person reading the scriptures can't help uh, but get the sense that God is on the side of the oppressed. Yeah, he is. uh, But those of us who are oppressed by sin, death and the devil, he, he, you know. Uh, Jesus, well, how does he put it in the uh, Sermon on the uh, Blessed are the Poor in Spirit? Now, I want to point something out. Christians should, should, should serve their poor neighbors and help them, befriend them, give them clothes. What's the point of saying that you love God and If somebody comes to you and you send them away hungry and naked, that's ridiculous. How can you say you love God if if that's what you would do to them? But see, good works flow from faith. A faith that clings to, focuses in on, stands firm on the promises of God for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. It's gospel-centered. When you're transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel... God sanctifies you, and uh, you can't help but do good works. I mean, that would—I mean, to not do good works and it would, and to not help the poor would be like saying that you're alive when you're not breathing. Uh, but this idea that we're supposed to—the church is now supposed to get entangled in this um, meshing of church and state with the goal of ending poverty once and for all. Boy, that sounds so amazing. I mean, uh, the audacity of them to cast such a profound and deep vision. It's not doable. Jesus said the poor we will always have with us. And we're called to proclaim the gospel, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and the sanctification through the Spirit, through grace that clings to Christ. So... Yeah, just want to point out, I have no problem. In fact, we should we should and must be helping the poor. How could we not? Because we've been redeemed by Christ. He suffered in our place on the cross. But this is a crossless version of that message, and uh, I'm not all that motivated by crossless pep talks to being you know more moral and do-goodish. It just doesn't work with me. All right, we're up on our second break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to start in the book of Exodus. We're going to look at uh, Exodus chapter 1, starting at verse 8, and then we're going to be doing our sermon review, uh, Good, Bad, and the Ugly Sermon Review. The name of it's Scars. It was preached by Pastor Chris Sonkson of uh, South Hills uh, Church in uh, Corona, California, and I put this in there. It was his Easter Sunday sermon. The reason I put this in there is because you need to hear and see if you hear a different gospel in this one. Definitely want to do that, and we'll throw in a um, an emergency gospel sermon so that you can hear about Jesus Christ, what he's done for you, and the forgiveness of sins won by him on the cross for you. 
uh, as a counterpoint to uh, what we're going to be reviewing here shortly. So I uh, want to remind you to stick with us as we uh, as we go to this break. And uh, if you would like to email me, you can talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can follow me on Ask Me My Friend on Facebook, Chris Roseboro, or follow me on Twitter, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We live in a time when there are full-out attacks against the gospel and sound biblical doctrine. One particular threat that you need to know how to protect yourself from is the attack against the doctrine of the penal substitutionary atonement. J.I. Packer called this doctrine the heart of the gospel, and this doctrine is now being openly attacked by liberals and emergents alike. This is why Pirate Christian Radio is featuring the book Pierced for Our Transgressions, Rediscovering the Glory of Penal Substitution. This book lays out the biblical underpinnings of this non-negotiable doctrine as well as its rich historical pedigree. After reading this book, you'll have a deep biblical understanding of what Christ accomplished for you on the cross as well as possess a sound biblical and historical defense against those who are attacking this important doctrine. Pierced for Our Transgressions is available at piratechristianradio.com and is only $25 plus $4 shipping and handling and all proceeds help to support Pirate Christian Radio. So log on to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy today. We're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hour number two. This is the hour where, well, we're going to do a little bit of biblical reading. Let's launch into a new series on the book of Exodus. Not because I'm such a great theologian, but because God's Word has got to get out. And I enjoy teaching it. And uh, I think by you hearing it, you can, you'll be able to teach it as well. All right, all right. We're going to dive right in. Just go for it here on uh, on Exodus. Now, 
Don't want to go all the way back to Genesis, but before we dive into this, you have to have a little bit of the backstory on the book of Exodus. And the backstory pretty much talks about, uh, you remember Abraham, he had a son whose name was Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was born second. Esau was, uh, Jacob, uh, let me see, Jacob was born first. No, reverse that. Jacob was born second. Esau was born first. They were twins. Jacob was grabbing Esau's heel as they were being born. Basically, Jacob means heel grabber. Um, Jacob uh, steals, uh, tricks his father and gets the birthright that's supposed to go to his brother, uh, Esau, as a result of it, his, his brother wants to kill him, so he flees to his uh, uh, family's household in, in, in Haran and uh, meets up with his uncle, falls in love with his cousin, uh, and ends up working for his uh, uncle in order to get his cousin's hand in marriage. And uh, and he kind of tricked him on his wedding night, and rather than giving him the gal that he really had the hots for, um, <clears throat> which was Rachel, they he uh, switched, he pulled the old, uh, was it Rachel and Leah? Uh, Leah had weak eyes. Anyway, they pulled the old switcheroo, put his uh, uh, the older sister who wasn't all that hot looking in instead, and he didn't realize it till the morning, and uh, and so he ended up working longer for his um, for his uncle than he had originally intended. Uh, in order to kind of work off the debt, the, f- the fact that he now had a couple of uh, of wives rather than one. And through kind of a long series of events, I'm fast-forwarding here, he ends up having 12 sons. One of his fa- – in fact, his absolute favorite was his son, Joseph. Uh, Joseph was a dreamer. He had dreams and uh, and liked to share his dreams uh, with his brothers, his sisters, his, uh, his sister, father, and mother. And uh, it involved them bowing down to him and stuff like that. His uh, brothers despised him because he was his dad's. Uh, his, he was dad's favorite. In fact, his dad gave him this multicolored coat, um, obvious favoritism. And uh, they plotted to kill him, but uh, one of his brothers came to his aid. And rather than killing him, they sold him into slavery in Egypt. And uh, it turns out that this was the plan by which God was going to rescue everybody. Because as it turns out. Years later, after uh, you know, basically suffering as a slave in Egypt and uh, and ending up in prison unjustly, uh, God turns his circumstances around really rapidly, and he becomes like the head of all of Egypt, with the exception of Pharaoh, in preparation for a, a famine that was coming upon the land of Egypt. Anyway, they they properly prepare for this famine that God promised. And Egypt is able to survive it, and all these different nations buy food from Egypt. And, um, and you know, so this great thing happened. God did this incredible thing through Joseph to save Egypt and to save his family, and they all moved to Egypt. And what happened is, is that the pharaohs of Egypt had forgotten uh, the great thing that the Hebrews had done, uh, specifically Joseph, you know, the house of Joseph did to save Egypt. And ending up, ended up enslaving the Hebrews. So we pick up the story at that point, really. Exodus chapter 1, starting at verse 8, it says, Now there arose a new king, a new pharaoh over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they would join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. 
So therefore, they set taskmasters over them to inflict them with heavy burdens. Uh, they built Pharaoh store, uh, store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. Uh, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made the, made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all, their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So this is all kinds of fun. Now, not into, into allegorical interpretation of Scripture, but that being the case, it's also important to note that in the Old Testament, we do have types and shadows. So where's Christ in all of this? Well, God is going to rescue them. Christ is going to rescue them. And this literally happened, and this is literally their story. Now, in a very similar way, okay, each and every one of us is born sinful and enslaved to sin. And so the redemption that we see God uh, mightily working on behalf of the children of Israel in Egypt is exactly the same mighty hand that works to rescue and save us from bondage to sin, death, and the devil through the mighty working of power of Jesus Christ crucified for our sins and resurrected for our justification. So where's Christ in all of this? This is, this is a true redemption story, and Christ is the one who is redeeming and rescuing, and, and we'll see how this plays out. All right? Okay, so uh, where did I leave off? Okay, so then the king has said to the Hebrew midwives, one of them was named uh, Shipra, uh, the other Pua, and when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and, and see them on the birthing stool, if it is a son, you need to kill him, and if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives, they feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Uh, can you imagine that? The, the Pharaoh wanted these Hebrew midwives to do his dirty work for him and to murder these uh, these these sons. Uh, but the midwives feared God. Okay, they feared God. They did not do as the king commanded, but they uh, but they let the male children live. So the king called the midwives and said to them. Why have you done this and let the male children live? So they took their lives in their own hands by disobeying Pharaoh. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Well, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. They lied. (laughs) Here we have an example of the king giving an unjust an unjust law they have to they and because they fear and love and trust in God they can't commit murder that's that's an abomination and so when they're called on the carpet because they haven't murdered these children what do these what do these hebrew midwives do they lie they outright lie so um so god verse 20 dealt with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. So God blesses them. And they, and, and because the midwives fear God, he gave them families too. Interesting, isn't it? So then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile and you shall let every daughter live. Now there was a man from the house of Levi he went and took as his wife a Levite woman. 
And the, we- the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeves by the riverbank. So we're going to end right there. And not tomorrow, but on Wednesday, we'll pick up the story. And so where, where's Christ in all of this? Well, Christ is the, do, the one doing the redeeming. He's going to move mightily to rescue these people uh, from their slavery. All right. Now we've come to that time in our program where it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's, it's sermon review time here at uh, Fighting for the Faith. And so we have our sermon review update music. That's right. The good. The bad. And the ugly. And for our sermon review, I think this would definitely fall into the ugly category. And why, why would I call it ugly? Well, I want you to listen carefully. See if you hear the biblical good news. That's the question. Are you hearing the good news of what Christ has done on the cross and raised from the, you know, that he died for your sins and rose again for your justification? Are you hearing that? Or are you hearing a therapeutic gospel? If you can call it a, a, a gospel. Yeah, well, anyway, you get the idea. So without any further ado, we're, the name of the sermon is Scars, and it was preached on Easter Sunday at uh, South Hills uh, Church in Corona, California, by a purpose-driven pastor by the name of Chris Songson, who, by the way, uh, also has a little side business as a motivational speaker, so I thought you'd enjoy that. And, uh, and here is his sermon entitled, Scars. I want to welcome you to South Hills on this incredible Easter weekend, and I want to welcome all those who are watching at one of our incredible campuses. We have a campus in Eastvale. We have a campus at, uh, in, uh, in the deepest part of South Corona, our South Campus. I want to welcome all of you to this incredible Easter weekend. I want you to grab the bulletin and that you received when you came in the program. You will see an insert in there entitled Scars, and today we are launching a three-week series entitled Scars, which I believe is just going to be absolutely awesome. Awesome. Again, want to welcome all those who are watching at the campuses. We've had an incredible Easter weekend so far. We've had Good Friday services. We had an Easter egg hunt Saturday morning at all of our campuses. How many were part of our Easter egg hunt? Let me see. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. I got to go to two of the campuses. Now, let me just describe it to you in case. Sit back, relax, let's have a good time. Let me describe to you what happened at the Easter egg hunt. For starters, I went to the main... Uh, notice, uh, yay, it's Easter, and uh, and then we're not talking about Christ. Immediately, we're off talking about um, ourselves, which is his normal M.O. 
Main Street uh, campus at Mountain Gate Park, and I went to theirs for about an hour, which is, uh, which is this campus here. And I kind of hung out there, and it was fun. There was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. It was awesome. Okay, people going crazy, kids going crazy, blood flying. It was wild. Then I decided, you know what, I'm going to go visit South Campus. I wanted to go to the South Campus One, which is off this Indian truck trial off the 15 freeway. They, they hold their services at Todd Elementary School, and they were having the, uh, the Easter egg hunt there. And uh, so here's what happened. I just want to describe it to you, okay, just so that you understand, okay? I decide, okay, I'm going to go over to... Uh, completely off topic, but just something I want to point out and just ask the question. This guy has multiple sites all over the place. They're spending all kinds of bucks. They're meeting. They're they're meeting everywhere you can possibly think of all over Corona. In fact, at Todd Elementary, my kids went there when I lived in Horse Thief Canyon. Um, the uh, the question that I just have is, uh, and what are they being fed? Here, this guy is being in- innovative, out of the box, uh, ridiculously creative in reaching people. Um, but what's the message he's reaching them with? You know, Walter Martin used to have a saying. He said, are you willing to do for the truth what the cults are willing to do for a lie? I think it's time maybe for me to kind of resuscitate this question and ask you guys listening, especially you men listening. Nothing against you women, but uh, the job of ministry in the truest sense, word and sacrament, is the job of men. Men, are you willing to do for the truth what these seeker-driven guys are willing to do for a false therapeutic gospel? Now, I know that sounds law-ish. It is. Well, it's what we should be doing. And I just I throw it out there as a question. I also would love your feedback on it. We continue. To the Easter egg hunt at South Campus. So they got music playing at Main Street at the Mountain Gate. I, I get into my car, and I'm hearing them playing music in the background while the kids are doing Easter egg hunt. I'm hearing, Hosanna, God, you're wonder. And I shut the door. Now, I go over to the South Campus, and I open up the door. I shut the door to Hosanna from the Main Street Campus Easter Egg Hunt. I open up the door at South Campus, and I I kid you not, this is what I hear. Can't touch this. And it's gone. I kid you not. And Pastor Billy, the South Campus campus pastor, he's leading the whole thing. He's got the white, you know, white man overbite going... All happening there. So then they ha- I get there, I hang out, meet everybody's people, and see some people I've never seen before because they watch it through a different venue. And so it was awesome. And Billy's doing a great job, huge people. They did an incredible job, absolutely incredible. And so it came to the adult Easter egg hunt, and I happened to be out South Campus. We've been doing this now since we started the church 11 years ago. We do an adult Easter egg hunt where we give money inside some of the eggs. In all the years I've done it, I've never won anything. Not one thing. And it's not for a lack of trying, like, oh, I shouldn't win as the pastor. I don't care. (laughs) I want to win the money. So I'm there, and I'm thinking, man, I want to win the money. Pastor Billy's wife, Annie, the other can't touch this, says to me, his wife says, hey, she says, I know which one uh, one of the $100 bills is in. I said, which one? She goes, that one right there. So, I mean, there's like, 
I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 eggs in this big, huge, grassed-off area, you know, with ropes and everything. And she said, it's right there. I mean, it was way on the other side. She described it to me. I followed the trail, green, yellow, pink, orange. There it is, the blue, the blue and the green one. It was two little eggs put together. She goes, it's in there. I promise you, I watched the guy drop it. She said, I kid you not. She goes, Pastor, I know I'm going to get in trouble for telling you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I said, all right. So I, you know, I said, here we go. Now, everybody's lined up, right? I mean, it's like Braveheart. I'm painted blue. And I'm going to go in there and I'm going to get the money. So I'm loosening up, you know, I'm stretching, you know, I'm getting in shape, blah, blah, blah. So all of a sudden there are one, two, and they're, and they're getting ready to drop it. And they drop this thing, you know, and finally, and I start going running to it. It was a vicious, I mean, it was on the other side. And there was elderly people who went, pa, pa, and I went. Matter of fact, I think they have a couple pictures from the Easter egg hunt. Let's take a look at those right now. You see that? It's awesome. Look at that. Look at that. Determination. Some little kid got in the way. You could see my lips. You stupid. You know, I just. I got to that egg, the blue and the green one, and I piled up a bunch of other ones. And some dude ran me over. He tried to take the egg. And so we were going for it, you know. And, and I gave him a flyer. Come to church. Get out of my way. You know, so. I come back and I have the Easter egg in my hand and I got like 20 of them. And Annie goes, which one? She goes, that's it right there. So I pull it out, Pastor Billy's wife, Annie. I open it up, no money. Just a sticker that says, I love you. <laughs> and now she says, well, she goes, I'm so sorry. Blah, blah. She goes, at least I'm telling you I love you. I go, save that for your husband. I want cash. <laughs> I love you, you know. <laughs> so now I get all spiritual here. I want money. It was an incredible Easter egg. Matter of fact, I even got, I'm not going to show you because my legs are so ugly. I even got a little bruise from it, if you can believe that. Now, I got a little scar. How many of you have scars on your body somewhere? You don't have to tell us where, but everybody does. Okay, a lot of people do. Love it. Okay, outside scars. I got a little scar on my chin. It's underneath the gray hair. God help us, gray hair right there. Okay, there's a little scar. If I show you my elbow, it's kind of weird because my elbow pops out real ugly-like because the elbow actually broke over here and they had to push it back over this way. Uh, I, I detect a segue into the main theme of this sermon, Scars. I wonder if he's going to play the uh, segment from the movie Jaws. Yeah, that would be fun, wouldn't it? And that was in last, last year's Eat Your Hunt. Um, <laughs> and there's scars. Now, I got outside scars. I think that probably all of us do. But and we see those outside scars in, in our life. I remember one time I was interviewing a guy at the church years ago. And I was interviewing a guy at the church, and, and we, he was, you know, kind of sharing a little bit of his life story, and it kind of fit into the message. So he was up on the stage, and I'm going like this, you know, during the thing, just like we're here. And I said, so tell us about you, you know, and he's got this cool little life story. But he missed an ingredient of his life story that I'd never heard before. So I said to him, I said, hey, man, I said, I see you got a little scar there. Go, Tell us about that scar. I don't know why I said that. That opened up a can of worms. Because he says to me, and he's still a friend of mine today, but he says to me, I said, uh, what's the scar about? And he goes, oh, I got that in prison. And then I went a step, you know, dumber, and I said, what'd you go to prison for? <laughs> well, dumb, you know, he's on the spot. And he goes, well, he goes, uh, um, I uh, was in a, a, f- a fight at a bar. You know, I'm interviewing the guy. And I was in a fight at the bar, and he goes, and I, and I, and I killed the guy. And I go, really? (laughs) 
was he a pastor? You know, just, now he's got this outside scar, you know, and it ended up being a different, whole different story, and, and that wasn't as bad as it sounded. But the initial shock was like, what are you doing? Someone says, I killed a guy. I'm like, oh, really? Praise God. Well, hey, there's a church down the street. Um, don't kill me. But we all have outside scars. But you know what's worse than an outside scar is an inside scar. It's the things that happen on the inside of our life. A lot of us have those. Some of us have inside scars like broken relationships. Some of us come into the auditorium today and you, you come from a divorce, you know, and it's hurt. And you got a broken relationship. Maybe you've got resentment from the past. Maybe you've got anger and bitterness issues that you still haven't overcome. You got, you got issues in your life that, that, that are hurting you, that are bothering you. You got bad habits that you know you need to break. Okay? Now here's the reality. Everyone has scars. Say that with me. We all have what? Something we need. Okay, what's the issue? What's the problem that he's addressing? What's the big burning thing that he's going to solve? Now, I'll, I'll give songs and props in this sense. He's always trying to solve a particular problem. The problem is, is that his the problem he's solving isn't nearly as deep as the problem that we all have. Do you suffer from internal scarring? Well, man, one. Okay, nobody's nobody is nobody's eliminated from that. Everybody's got scars. Now, let me take it a step further. Everybody has. No, no. Follow me on the thought. Everybody has what I call this issue. Ready? The once and for all issue. Wouldn't it be great once and for all if I wasn't bitter anymore? I bet you got one of those issues. Okay, now listen. This is important. It, we all have a once and for all issue, and wouldn't it be great if we could once and for all not have that problem? Now, I'm just going to ask the logical question. Does Jesus Christ in the Scriptures promise us that he's going to solve once and for all the problems that we have? Now, the answer to the question is a definitive Yes, but does he promise to do that this side of the resurrection and his return in glory to judge both the living and the dead? Answer, no. We continue. Wouldn't it be great once and for all if I could overcome the past? Gosh, wouldn't it be great once and for all if I could break that bad habit? Wouldn't it be great once and for all that our marriage could really start thriving? Wouldn't it be great once and for all if I could just really reconcile with that person? Wouldn't it be great if once and for all this thing could happen in my life? Everybody, everybody Everybody has what I call the once and for all issues. Everybody's got them. Now, did Jesus come to earth specifically to solve our once and for all, to solve our problems once and for all, this side of the resurrection? Based on the list that he just gave. Everybody has them. Now, we are starting a three-week series that starts today and runs a couple more weeks. And we are going to tackle those once and for all issues. Because we're celebrating Easter and we're launching this three-week series. And Jesus Christ died on a cross, rose from the dead. And I know some of you embrace that and some of you are kind of new to the... the Uh, Yeah, but what did he die for exactly? To the idea, maybe don't embrace it fully, but embrace this... Everybody has scars, everybody has a once and for all issue, and everybody would like that issue to change. 
What about everybody has sin? Everybody has rejected God. Everyone is born sinful by nature, at war with God, and uh, children of the devil. How about that? I mean, this whole scar thing is as if you're treating the human problem as a surface issue. Sorry, I had to do that. And if you would just open up your heart just a little bit and maybe... What? <laughs> what? If I would just open up my heart just a little bit... Whoa, whoa, backing up, backing up the tape. Got to hear that again here uh, in context. Here, here we go. Everybody has scars. Everybody has a once and for all issue, and everybody would like that issue to change. And if you would just open up your heart just a little bit and maybe give, give God a chance to kind of work in that thing. What? <laughs> what? Give God a chance? Oh, poor God. He's just up there in heaven going, just give me a chance. Put me in the game, coach. Put me in the game, please. Just give me a chance. I, I promise I'll make your life better. Please give me a chance. What a lame God he believes in. You might be able to help fix that thing once and for all in your life. So how do we do that? How do we take everybody's once and for all issues that, boy, it would be great if my marriage, this, that, the other thing could just change. I could forgive. I could let go. How could this bad habits, how could I once and for all help that issue and deal with it? Well, we're launching it today. Let's look at the first part that we need to do. Here's how we... Notice that uh, Christianity is about what Christ has done for us. He's preaching about the things that you need to do, but, you know, you've got to give God a chance overcome with a little bit of God's help or a lot of God's help, this once and for all issue. And again, you may not believe in God, new to church, whatever. That's cool. That's fine. Let me just kind of help you deal with the once and for all issue. We're all in the same boat on this. Okay. No, we're not. We're all in the same boat when it comes to sin, sin, not scars. Scars turns you into a victim. We're perps. We're the perpetrators. Let's look at the first one. Ready? I want you to write this in. All right, ready? You need down. to identify your personal scars. Okay, so, so step number one of things you need to do identify your personal scars. Where's the step written in the scripture? Or is that too much to ask of? Yeah, it probably is with him. You need to identify your personal scars. Everybody has personal scars. Everybody. Now I want you to begin to think about yours. Everybody has personal scars. How about identify your sins? You know, pull out the Ten Commandments there, Pastor. Love God with all your heart. You know, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Honor your father and mother. Don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery. You know, how, how about identify? Why don't you preach about the real problem? The real problem is our sinfulness. Mine and yours included there, Pastor. Every person here has a personal scar in their life. There's no question about it. You got something that you wished once and for all. Yeah, you know, I, when I was in kindergarten, I wanted to be the milk monitor and... <laughs> My teacher only let me do it twice, but my good friend Mario, he got to he got to do it four times and I didn't get to and I have scars because I wanted to be the milk monitor and <laughs> 
you can deal with it. I just want you to kind of think about that for a moment. We all have them. I was uh, uh, going into with a friend of mine to a McDonald's, and uh, so we went in there to McDonald's. It was, it was quite a while back, and we walk in there, and uh, so we go up there, and we're standing right here, you know, in line, and then there's this, uh, um, there's these girls in line. There's four girls, and they're probably ages between 17 and 19. And they were big girls. I'm not talking like heavy set as much as just, I don't know what nationality they were, but man, they were just stocky girls and kind of mean looking gang girls. Two of them were as tall as me and they're just, you know, like this, you know, kind of like the Xenas of, of McDonald's. And, and they were, you know, and they're just, you know, and, uh, so the, the guy in front of them gets done with order and they're about to step up. Well, these two junior high girls come walking in and not really paying attention to the, the Xena girls. The two junior high girls, you know, and you can tell junior high girls because they're popping their gum and they got names of boys all over the shoe. <laughs> so these girls step in right in front of the Xena girls and the Xena, and they didn't even notice. I don't think they meant anything bad by it. The Xena girls, the big, they turn them around like this and man, they just start letting them have it and blankety, blankety, blankety. And they're cussing them out. Blank, 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 blank. You know, and I'm sitting there. Cool. It's going to be fine. No, I was like. Okay, something's got to happen. I said, hey, man, I had to step in because I thought they were going to kill these girls. And I was like, hey, man, I said, uh, relax. There's enough Happy Meals. No, I said, relax. Everybody's cool. You know, it's, it's going to be good. Who are you? Who the blank are you? The, the girl turns around. And I'm like, I said, well, I said, I'm just telling you that you need to relax. And she goes, who? The, and she touches me and goes, who are you? Who the blank are you? I turn around to see my friend. He's gone. <laughs> I knew I could take two of those girls, but no way could I take all four. I was going to go down. So they're blank, 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 blank. And I said, well, I go, I go you just need to stop cussing and start going, oh, great, blank, 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 or cussing up a storm. And I said, first of all, I said, I'm an adult. And second of all, I said, I'm a pastor. We're blanking Christians too. That's what they said. Well, actually, Chris, you, you just play a pastor on TV. I said, what church do you go to? The first church of the blanks. That's where they go. Now, they kind of finished up, and we were able to resolve the whole thing, you know, and my friend finally came back, Mr. Bravery, and we walked out, and I'll never forget there was a homeless guy there, and he said, hey, man, can, can, can you get me something to eat? And most, 99% of the time, I say, absolutely, sure, I'd be more than happy to get you something to eat. So I'm about to get this guy something to eat, and I said, hey, man, I said, down on your luck a little bit, not having a good day, hurting a little, or something like that, I said to the guy. I'll never forget what this homeless guy said to me. It was very intense. It was as if he kind of pierced me with his eyes. He looked at me, he goes, I'll never forget it. Homeless dude looked at me, he goes, everybody's hurting, man. And I, and, I, and I thought, you're right. I mean, you may be hurting in a different level, in a different way. Everybody's hurting. Everybody's got an issue they wish once and for all would be done with. And on your outline, here's, here's just some samples. Maybe your personal scars are uh, your upbringing. Maybe it's something to do with broken relationships. Or Oh, man. Okay. Upbringing and personal relationships. Again... Uh, who's the perp here? You, you've been perpetrated on. What about the problem that I'm guilty of breaking God's holy law? This guy preaches a different gospel, folks, because he doesn't even understand the problem that humanity ha faces. Purity or hurtful words or a significant loss. Maybe it's a personal struggle, rejection or resentment, and the list goes on and on. You notice with these guys that when it comes to sin, it's always just a bad habit. That you can celebrate recovery and you'll be and you will be through it and on and on of the things that it possibly could be for you the list goes on and on. now here's the deal you got to decide are you going to deal with this thing once and for all, or are you just going to let it keep going in your life because if i got to decide once and for all whether or not i'm going to deal with this 
well, if I'm the one who's making the decision as to whether or not I'm going to decide to deal with this once and for all, how is that giving God a try? I mean, what what's his function in the in this? If you let it keep going, understand this. It's going to hurt you. These personal issues always hurt you. Uh, you ever heard of hell? How's that for self-destructive, hurtful behavior? You know, consequences. Uh. Second thing is, they always hurt other people. They always hurt other people. Not that. No. Did you know that if, if those people who have resentment and anger from the past, they're five times more likely to die an early death? <gasps> no way. I don't want to die an early death. And I'd be... <clears throat> okay, you've just talked about death. How about where they would go when they die? Ever heard of, you know, heaven, being with the Lord, hell... Lake of Fire, you know, those those biblical themes, places. According to Dr. Dave Churia, he says this. He says that people that have resentment from the past, even if it has nothing to do with their spouse, it will actually lower the quality of their marriage and their family life. Oh, no. Are you suffering from a low-quality marriage? It could be due to scars. And I'm so glad Jesus came to solve that problem. Whew. I mean, I'd, I didn't think I could handle being in a low-quality marriage for just another second. Not that I have one. It's just this ridiculous. It's just, it's just that way. It robs you. It doesn't matter if it's a bad habit. It doesn't matter if it's resentment from the past. It doesn't matter if it's a broken relationship. Whatever your once-and-for-all issue that you wish just kind of could disappear, that once-and-for-all issue, it's robbing you. It's robbing other people. It's bringing a lot of hurt. Identify. Get it in your head. What is your personal scar? Let's go to the second thing. Oh, man. Second thing on your outline is this. Recognize he received his scars to heal your scars. Okay, so number one is identify your personal scars, and then number two, this would actually qualify as a form of a gospel. Uh, Jesus Christ received his scars to deal with your personal scars. You know, you could you could work this right. Let's see if he does. I mean, there's a well. This is our, this is our gospel nugget. Let's see if he actually pulls off the gospel here, or if this actually qualifies as a different gospel. Listen carefully. It, that's what Easter's all about. I know some of you kind of new to the whole church thing, but the Bible says that Jesus Christ died on a cross, a very brutal death. It's not only a biblical fact, it's a historical fact. He died on a cross. Now, don't get excited because he's talking about Jesus in the cross. Remember, Gnostics believe in Jesus in the cross. Mormons believe in Jesus and the cross. The question is, what does it all mean? What was he doing there? Why was he on the cross? Not only a biblical fact, but a historical fact that he rose from the dead. He did all this stuff because he was madly in love with you. Because he was... Oh, man, there's that language again. Jesus, your obsessive, compulsive girlfriend. The way, the Bible says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to heaven but through him. Uh-huh. So he wants to spend eternity with you. Uh-huh. But he also wants to be your friend here on earth. Uh-huh. 
I think the story that best relates it is about this little kid named Tommy. Tommy was one of those troublemakers in a Catholic school. He was always causing trouble. He was always having issues. You know, the teachers always had to bring him to the principal's office, and he would sit there, and he would get in trouble, and sometimes they'd pull out the ruler, you know, in the old traditional Catholic school, and they'd slap his hand, you know, like this, you know, and he'd sit there, and they'd hit it pretty hard until it got a little red and swollen. Well, Tommy came in there and said, what are you going to do to hit me? You know, he got obnoxious. And they said, what'd you do? He goes, I took the kid's face and put it in the sandbox. He was like 10 years old. He goes, I didn't like the kid. I didn't like the way he looked at me. You know, and he goes, he, he goes, were you going to hit me with the ruler? He goes, you do it all the time. He goes, I don't care. Tommy was a bitter and angry kid. And so this conversation went on for about two, three minutes. And finally, the principal said, I'm going to teach you something about this word called grace. Tommy said, what's grace? The principal, the teacher standing there and the principal says, well, grace is it's, it's undeserved favor. You don't deserve it, but you get it anyway. And he said, so here's what I'm going to do. He said, there's going to be a punishment today, but you're not going to take it. He says, I'm not going to get hit by the ruler. He says, no. He goes, really? He was all happy. He said, no, not today. And he handed the ruler over to the teacher and he put his hands out like this. The principal did. And he said, now, Tommy, you come over here and you count each time the principal hits me or the teacher hits me until we get to 10. And so the teacher went one, two, and the kid would yell out three. And by the time they got to four, hitting the principal's hands, the principal's taking his place. Now, okay, this is a this is an example of penal substitution, a absolutely good illustration for the gospel. Let's see how he applies it, though. By the seventh or eighth one, Tommy started crying and said, "Let him stop, stop, stop! I I'm the one that deserves it. He doesn't deserve it." This is the gospel. And the teacher finally stopped. And the, and the principal took his swollen and red hands and grabbed Tommy's face with love and said, You see, Tommy, this is undeserved favor. This is what Jesus did. He did this for you. You deserve to die, but he died in your place. You've got wounds and hurts, and he died so that your wounds and hurts could be healed. That's what... So... So close, and yet so far... You have wounds and hurts, and he died to heal those wounds and hurts. That isn't even consistent with the story you told, Pastor. The story you told was definitely one of punishment and Jesus Christ suffering in our place for what we deserve. Wounds and hurts are completely different categorically than sin and rebellion against God and authority. Jesus did. You are here today because maybe you've got wounds. You've got issues. You've got things that you wish. Sin, rebellion. Be consistent with your own story. Your story had the gospel in it. Why did you switch it? It's just once and for all. Can we just get our marriage right? What? Could we just once and for all get our marriage right? Can we just let go of that resentment? Can I just get rid of that bad habit? Can I just let go of the past? Can I just wash that memory from my mind? There's a once and for all issues. And look what Isaiah says. I love sin. There's sin. Oh, man. So are you, and listening to this, are you feeling sorry for your sins? Are you feeling like you've, that you just want to feel sorry for yourself because you've been victimized and you have wounds and... And you want to you want to get healed and once and for all from those those wounds that you've suffered, you've been victimized. 
And see, it's not sin. It's, it's, you're just the victim of a bad habit. I love this scripture. Isaiah says this. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sin. Notice the passage you're reading talks about sin and rebellion against God and how he was crushed for our sin and rebellion. The illustration you gave with the Catholic kid had that. The passage you're reading from Isaiah 53 has that. Why is it that when it comes back to you, now that automatically gets morphed into wounds and hurts and scars? You've been victimized. He was beaten so we could be whole. Would you read the rest of it with me now? He was ready. He was whipped so we could be healed. You know what Jesus did? Jesus laid out his hands, but he didn't lay them out this way like the principal. He laid them out this way. And he said, now you, you go ahead and beat me. I will take the punishment. The Bible says the wages of sin. Okay, okay, good. All right. Sin is death. Because we've, what we've done, we deserve to die. We can't live the way we live on earth and get to heaven and go, sorry, God. Oh, good. Oh, thank God. A real gospel nugget coming from Chris Songson. Woohoo! Right home, folks. Right home. On this day, here on Fighting for the Faith, We've got uh, Pastor Chris Songson actually correctly telling us what the gospel is. Unfortunately, I think it's going to evaporate. But write home, send an email, send, send up a flare, we, fireworks, we should celebrate. We, someone's got to pay for what we've done. Jesus died in our place. But not only that we could have eternity in heaven, but that he could deal with the issues in our life once and for all. Those issues... Oh. Here's that abundant life stuff so we can... Oh, man. So there was the gospel nugget. That came in at about Mach 7 from my calculations. That once and for all, he could heal. He was whipped so we could be healed. He was beaten so we could be whole once and for all. 58% of all Americans say that they... Notice how he's using that. He switched it from the valid gospel into something different. Yeah, by his stripes we are healed. Healed from what? Sin, death, the devil. Uh, uh, man. Ah! They wish that their marriage was healthier. 46% of all Americans say they have resentment issues. Jesus Christ said that he didn't come to bring peace, but to bring division. And that division would be in your own family. Father against mother, husband against daughter. Ah! One out of every five people by the time they hit age 18 will have been sexually abused. Average American has two to three habits that are causing issues in their life. The habit of insecurity, the habit of being impatient, the habit of addiction. It's what about the sin of adultery? How about the sin of lying? How about the sin of false doctrine? How about the sin of taking the Lord's name in vain? How about the sin of disrespecting your parents? How about the, the gospel was in there. The illustration I'm working on, I think I'll, I'll bring it out here, is it's as if these seeker-driven churches have Jesus in the back by, behind the stage, and they got him duct taped. You know, they got his mouth duct taped. They have his his hands bound behind his back, and you know, and his legs tied up. And what they do is they bring him out every now and then. See, see, we got Jesus. He's right here. See, we believe in salvation by grace. And see, he was whipped for our transgressions. And they throw him back in the back room with the duct tape and the rope and all that kind of stuff. And then they go back to preaching this other thing. 
It's causing something in their life. Broken families are growing twice as fast as the national debt. We all have issues. We all have the once and for all. We all have sins. And Jesus didn't promise that we would solve our sin problem once and for all this side of the resurrection. Our hope is in the resurrection when he comes back. You know, we transform like the twinkling of an eye. We'll be with him. Oh, yeah, that stuff. And what do we learn on this Easter of 2009? Number one, we got all issues. Everybody's got them. And one certain sins. We have sins. For all, it would be really cool if we could just deal with this issue. And Jesus Christ did this so that we could have life. He died on the cross so that he could help us deal with the issues. I love. He died on the cross so he can help us deal with the issues. This is a different gospel. I, I, this is not the biblical gospel. Of what it says in the book of uh, um, in the book of Matthew. Let me read it to you, uh, chapter eleven, verse twenty-eight. Je- verse twenty-eight. Jesus said these words: "Are you tired, worn out, burned out?" Well, isn't that a good question from Jesus? This sounds like an infomercial. You know the way you do. <sighs> Are you tired, worn out? Feel like you're at the end of your rope? Like you're burning the candle at both ends? Well, have we got the solution for you? It's Jesus Wow! That's right, Jesus Wow will completely wipe up your scars, your hurts, your boo-boos, your hang-ups, and help you to once and for all deal with all those pesky things in your life that you're just so dissatisfied with and wish it would be different. Jesus Wow! Are you following me, camera guy? Anyway, we continue. Hey, think about your issue, the once and for all issues. Are you tired of feeling that way? Are you burned out? Aren't you tired of, aren't you tired of that bitterness? Aren't you tired of that resentment? Aren't you tired of that bad habit that you try to overcome, but it never changes? Aren't you tired and worn out from the marriage? It, are all the things he's promising the things that the Bible promises? For oh, man. That doesn't seem to get any better. This is what he says. Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. You'll recover. What? What? Wow, oh, man. Hang on. I'm, I'm going to blow a gasket. Uh, Matthew 11, I think he said, right? Uh, hang on a second here. i got to switch to uh, to verse mode. Matthew 11. Uh-huh. Oh, man. Let's see. Uh, come to me. Yeah, here we go. Let me read it in context so that because um, he won't. And I like doing that anyway, because at least it guarantees you'll hear some of the word of God. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. And then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Oh, by the way, Chris, um, do you understand anything about repentance at all? I'm not hearing this from you. I'm not hearing about the re- repentance and the forgiveness of sins. I'm hearing about dissatisfaction and Jesus making your life more satisfying. But we continue. So Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be, uh, will you be brought down to Hades? 
For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and, uh, and, and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious, gracious will. All things have been handed over uh, to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except for the Father, and no one knows the Father except for the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is he referring to there? Salvation. It's not by works. It's by grace. We continue. Your life. He's given you a promise if you'll give him a chance. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. <laughs> Learn the unforced rhythms of grace? He's turning grace into a work that you do. Jesus, the supreme example of learning. Follow his example of the unforced rhythms of grace. Boy, it sounds like salvation by grace, but it isn't. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. I love this part. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What translation is that? Oh, I bet that's that message paraphrase. Hang on a second here. I'm going to be consulting an uh, Internet-based Bible. Um, If you would like to, by the way, if you want to look at the Bible online, you can using BibleGateway.com. Let's see, Matthew 11, I'm going to go, what, 26 through 30. And we're going to search in the massage. Oh, hang on a second here. I just, I have no idea what, where he's getting his stuff from. Okay, so um, uh, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything... He- yeah, that's the message, all right. Wow, is that bad. Whoa. Whoa, whoa. Not even remotely close to the, what the original languages say or even teach or convey. Wow. That's a promise. Here's basically what Jesus is saying. Let's just, here's what he's saying. Give me a chance. I can help. No. So the gospel, the good news is Jesus is saying, give me a chance. I can help. Wow. I can help. I can help your marriage. I can help your broken heart. I can help the resentment. I can help the bitterness. Jesus, the psychotherapist. I can help. If you would just give me a chance. Just give Jesus a chance. Poor old Jesus. He wants to be put in the game so bad. Could you imagine the Apostle Peter, that being the kicker at the end of his great sermon at Pentecost? You know, are you uh, burned out on religion? Can't you just hear the Apostle Peter? You know, the, the gift of tongues has fallen. He's preaching with boldness and with power. And, and they're cut to the quick. And, 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 and what does he say? Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. 
and I'll give you rest. I learned from me the unforced rhythms of grace. Just give Jesus a chance. This is a completely castrated Jesus. Man. Yeah, this is the Jesus that had the lop it off of me um, surgery. Wow. Let's go to the third and the final thing. The third and the final thing is this. It is give God a chance. Give God a chance. This past week, uh, my daughter was on spring break. She's 15 years old. She's on spring break. And uh, all we are saying is give God a chance. So we are saying. Uh, she calls me up and she goes, Dad, are you hungry? You know what that means. Come get me. Let's have lunch. It doesn't mean, hey, I'll bring you lunch. I'm, I'll walk there three miles. She says, Dad, are you hungry? And I said, yeah. And she goes, good. Let's go get lunch together. You know, and then she tries to, you know, familyze it a little bit. I, I really want to spend time with you. I'm thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> Cupboards are bare and you want Mother Hubbard to come and help you out. So I said, all right, I'll, Dad will come get you. So, you know, whatever. We work it out. We go, we go and we have lunch. And we go to Rubio's. And we're there, you know, and uh, I don't know if you've been to Rubens lately. It's expensive. And uh, it's like a $7 burrito. And uh, so I order and I get my little cup and I want to go up and I want to get some iced tea, some unsweetened iced tea. I go up there and there's a girl there and, and uh, she said, oh, it's empty. And I said, oh, man, what a bummer. You know, the other, girl, the other customer trying to get it, some lady probably in her early uh, or late 30s, early 40s. She says, oh, man, she goes, she goes, it's out. I go, oh, what a bummer. You know, and, uh, and so we both kind of walked over to the counter and told the people, hey, you're out of iced tea. Okay, it'll take a couple minutes. We'll get it ready. Okay. So I go and I sit down, I'm talking with my daughter and we're starting to eat and we're just hanging out, whatever. And I'm waiting for the iced tea to come out. The lady walks by. Now follow, follow this. I'm sitting with my 15 year old daughter and the lady walks by and uh, she goes, Hey, when the iced tea comes, you can go first. She's being, you know, kidding around with me. I said, nah, man. I said, ladies always first. You can go first. She, I said, ladies always first. Now this is what she does. She comes by to my daughter and she goes, he's a keeper. He's a keeper. Now, my daughter, she's sitting there like this. Gross. That's sick. I'm over there sitting there going, smiling the whole time going, man, I must look young. Awesome. Yeah. It was hilarious. I was happy as ever. And she was depressed. For the last four days, I've texted her probably 33 times. He's a keeper. He's a keeper. He's a keeper. <laughs> so I was talking with my daughter afterwards. We're driving, driving home, drop her off. And she says, Dad, she goes, a long time ago, about a year, year and a half ago, you said, Dad, if I'd get my heart right with God, if I would just give him a chance, he would do some really cool things in my life. <sighs> This is what the, this is the uh, what Christianity has been reduced to. Give Jesus a chance. And I'm telling you something. He's done some incredible things in my daughter's life. She is becoming so fired up for God, like I've never seen a teenage. How is that possible, based upon your preaching? She's just loving God like crazy. Never seen anything like it in her life. It's awesome. But she said that one statement. She said, "Dad, you said if I would just give God a chance." Oh. It's like, a, it's like a knife going through my heart every time he says it. It's repent. It's repent. 
and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's not give Jesus a chance. Well, I think it's awful generous of me, you know, to uh, even let Jesus have a chance because he's such a loser anyway, and I think he's a goob. But I'll I'll give him a chance and see if he can perform for me like some kind of a spiritual monkey. And if he doesn't come through and really make a difference, I'm going to go find a different guy that'll that'll do what I want. He would do some incredible things, and he's done it, Dad. I tell you that for this reason. Just give him a chance. You got nothing to lose, man. Just, just give nothing to gain. This isn't even. This is not biblical Christianity. This is not the gospel. We actually heard it, but like I said, it's Jesus with the duct tape around his mouth, his hands bound, and his feet bound, and they just drag him out and say, "See, here's Jesus." Don't look at the duct tape on his mouth. See, there he is. See, we believe in salvation by grace. He, see, 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 he died for our sins, and they throw Jesus back, and then go right back to interpreting it how they want to. Got a chance. Be here for the three-week series. Give God a chance to deal with those once-and-for-all issues. Give Him a chance. Give At worst-case scenario, you come to a service a few times and you laugh a lot. That's the worst that's going to happen. So they give Jesus a chance, and Jesus doesn't, like a performing genie, do what they need. In the, at least they got some laughs out of it. Well, there. Uh, thanks for playing along with the let's give Jesus a chance game. Unfortunately, Jesus didn't come through for you, but we have some lovely parting gifts for you. And uh, here's one of them. The fun and revelry that you had while laughing at Pastor Chris Songson's jokes. What a great prize that was. Wonderful parting gift. Thanks for playing. But what possibly could happen is, once for all, those ideas, those issues, those, those problems, those things that you just wish were, could change, they could change. Once in a while, if you just give God just a chance, give him just a chance. When Jesus died on the cross, why well, we celebrate Good Friday and Easter, and he rises from the dead, he goes back and he visits some of his disciples. Some of them were in shock. Some of them were off doing whatever, you know, they're like, man, the master's gone. Some of them knew, hey, no, he's going to rise from the dead. But there was this one guy that just really doubted. Which of the apostles believed that Jesus was going to rise from the dead before he did it? None of them. None of them could figure out what he meant by rising from the dead. What's he talking about rising from the dead? They were all Splitsville, and they were terrified because they thought the Romans were going to come get them. They weren't anxiously awaiting his resurrection. When the women went to the tomb on Sunday morning, they didn't go there to find an empty tomb. They went there to anoint his body with, with herbs and spices and stuff. They didn't believe that he, they had no clue what, oh man. Matter of fact, Jesus went and had a conversation with the dude. His name is Thomas, one of the disciples. And he said, hey, and they start having this conversation. Thomas doubted. Thomas thought, can he really rise from the dead? Can he really come back into my life? Can he really change things? Can he really make a difference in my life? No, he wasn't thinking that at all. <laughs> do, you, do you just make up passages and say that's what the Bible teaches? John chapter 20. Great stuff, by the way, um, if you really would like to read it in context. In fact, tell you what, I've got nothing better to do. It's my radio program, and I like teaching the Bible, so I'll tell you what the passage really says. Um, let, let's see here. Um, all right. Uh, John chapter 20. On, on the evening of that day, that would be Easter Sunday, uh, the first day of the week, the doors were uh, doors being locked 
where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When they had, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw that the Lord, they, and Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold the forgiveness forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Something about forgiveness of sins there, right? Yeah, we continue. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, uh, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, uh, the marks of the nails, and place my fingers into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. No, it doesn't say anything about... He's did. Uh, let me back this up. See if what we just read from the Bible is even close to what uh, Goat Herder Songson says it's, it's supposedly saying. Here we go. Give God just a chance. Give him just a chance. When Jesus died on the cross, why well, we celebrate Good Friday and Easter, and he rises from the dead, he goes back and he visits some of his disciples. Some of them were in shock. Some of them were off doing whatever, you know, they're like, man, the master's gone. Some of them knew, hey, no, he's going to rise from the dead. But there was this one guy that just really doubted. Matter of fact, Jesus went and had a conversation with the dude. His name is Thomas, one of the disciples. And he said, hey, and they start having this conversation. Thomas doubted. Thomas thought, can he really rise from the dead? Can he really come back into my life? Can, can he really come back into my life? And that's not in the text. Can he really change things? Can he really, where's that in the text? Can he really make a difference in my life? Can, where's that in the text? You know what? When I read that this week, I thought about you and I. I bet there's a little bit of Thomas in all of us. Can he really make a difference? Can he really make my marriage better? That's not Thomas. Can he really help me forgive that person? Can he really mend that broken relationship? Can he really help me with this bad habit? Can he really help me with these once and for all issues? How about can he really forgive me of my sins? Are my sins really washed away? Do I, am I really clothed with the righteousness of Christ uh, through faith? Does God really reckon me as righteous? Me, a wicked, wretched sinner. Look what Jesus said to Thomas. It's on, your, it's on your outline. Then he said to Thomas, this is Jesus speaking, put, put your finger here. See my hands. He's telling him, look, look I've, I've died from the cross. There's, there's still scars. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And I love this part. Stop doubting and believe. Yeah, but it had nothing about, can, it, he wasn't doubting. Whether or not, well, can Jesus really make a difference in my life? Ugh. Would you just stop doubting and believe? What about the part where Thomas says, Hakurios mu kai hatheos mu, Greek, by the way, a little, that basically translated means, you're my Lord and my God. He worships Jesus and calls him his Lord and God. After, eh, well, Basically, you know what he told Thomas? Hey, buddy, just give me a chance. See my scars? No. That's what Jesus said. He goes, look at the scars in my hands. Look at the scars where they put the spear. These scars are so that I could heal your scars. These scars here are so that... This is a different gospel. This is not the Christian gospel. Not even close. That I could deal with those once and for all issues in your life. If you would just give me a chance. There are some people here at South Hills Church. 
They are in the same boat that all of us are in. They've got these once and for all issues, issues of divorce, issues of resentment, issues. Sins, sins, say it, sin. You said it earlier. You talked about the punishment part, but your stories about punishment of sins doesn't make any sense based on how you redefined it. Issues of past problems, and they decided once and for all that they would just give God a chance. We grabbed a video camera, and we wanted to record their story. They're right here from the South Hills family. Let's take a look at their story. I was born and raised a Catholic, and in my early teens, a girlfriend invited me to a church, a Pentecostal church, and that is where I accepted uh, Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I also later was baptized, the full immersion in water, um, which is... By the way, completely symbolic. What if if baptism is merely symbolic? Why does it have to be via full immersion? I have no idea why that is. It's a great feeling, by the way. And I participated in church with the uh, young kids that went to Sunday school. And then, as I approached my early twenties, I stopped going to church. And I stopped going to church for about 25 years. About three years ago, my sister, who also lives in Corona, her husband and even her teenage girls were telling us about South Hills and what a fantastic and great church. I had some great parents. But... Uh, what is so fantastic about this church? This guy doesn't preach the Christian gospel. Oh, he's entertaining. He's innovative. He's out of the box. And he's heretical. Uh, great Christian parents who brought me up, took me to church all the time, whether I liked it or not. And I've had some great church experiences. Uh, so I've, I felt I had a great background. Uh, I've, you know, in college, I went to church. I feel I've been a, a good man. Uh, I did have a falling out, though. I, I, I feel like I've been a good man. Sir, you're not good. You are a wretched sinner. Wow. I, I was divorced, and uh, my children, uh, I, I look at it as not taken away from me, but taken away from me in the sense that uh, I could not see them any day. They gave the, the custody to their mother, uh, so I couldn't see my children on a regular basis. And I had, kind of had a falling out with God. I kind of blamed God for that. And one of the things... Jan oh, so you have God scars. So you've been victimized by God. Janice uh, told me uh, that I still needed to do was I needed to bring my children to God. I feel I found a church that allows me to introduce them to God, to Christ, that allows them to, to connect, to, to hear the message, uh, the biblical messages or the biblical lessons in a way that they understand it. My life's no longer just about uh, being a great father. It's about uh, leaving something, leaving some of me, giving something to somebody else, making their life better. Uh, I want to contribute. You know, I want to do everything I can. My daughter, who um, didn't live in Corona, came to live with us under unfortunate circumstances. September 2007, I was blindsided by my husband.
never talk about it, so... <laughs> that he was no longer in love or happy and wanted a divorce. And we have, we have two children. At the time, he was four or five, and my youngest was just six months. My sister spoke to her, and so my daughter came to South Hills. I find out that my son, um, he was having some certain um, things going on with him, so we had to take him to the doctors. And the doctor concluded that it, it had, had to be a brain tumor. Um, and possibly something else. And when we went back uh, for the MRI, there was a week time in between. Um, I held out my hand and asked everybody I could around me and on my phone for prayer, and I got a lot of responses. And it was amazing because the ripple effect that happens. This person talked to this person, and this person is going to go to church and put in a prayer request, and this person went to church and put it. And, you know, it was just a, a huge ripple effect. And just to see that in a time and a circumstance you know, where everything seems stormy and gray and everything's horrible, that's when God shows you who he is and shows you his support and shows you his love and shows you, you know, already what he's going to do for you. When the results came through, uh, they were all negative for a tumor. And I remember that was on a Monday, and my daughter texted me that everything was... Um, good, positive, that when I got in the car to leave work and to go home, the song that came on was Blessed Assurance, but the chorus was playing, and the chorus was playing, this is my story, this is my song, loving my Savior all the day long. And I just broke down in tears. And I cried, and I sang that song as loud as I could all the way home. This is my story. This is my song, loving my Savior all the day long. You know what I love about that story? There are so many issues. I heard the word divorce in there, custody of children, a little bit of resentment, some physical issues. I gotta stop for a second. You know, these people, yeah, they have had emotional experiences and they feel like this is such a positive place for them to be. And somebody even had a miraculous healing. Is this how we determine whether or not what Chris is preaching is the true biblical gospel or not? No, we don't. And they just gave God a chance. I talked to the to Janice just today at the Easter egg hunt, and her life's just turning around because she just decided to give God a chance. We're going to do something very unique, very special here, maybe even a little uncomfortable. So a therapeutic form of the, of the gospel call or the uh, altar call. Those of you who want to give God a chance. Some of you, but I think it's going to be worth it. I want you to grab your program, and inside your program, you'll see a little hand. See a hand inside your program. If you didn't get a program, don't worry. We will take care of that in just a moment. And what we want to do in just a moment, here's what I'd like you to do. I'm going to challenge you to take this. Grab a pen or a pencil or something you can write with. If you don't have a pen or pencil, lift your hand. Go Just go like this. There's some ushers coming real quick just to give you a pen or pencil if you don't have one. Just go like this if you don't have one. There's a few over there. A couple over here, some right over here, right over there. 
Keep your hand waving around. There's a couple right over here, a couple right there. Now, here's what you're going to do. Listen to me, folks. Keep your hand going. They're right over here, all the way in the front. There we go. Now, this is what you're going to do. This is what I'm going to challenge you to do. You don't have to. But if you've come to that place where you're like, you know what, there's an issue in my life that I wish once and for all, it was just done, done with. We're going to give God a chance. I'm going to ask you. Here it is. You ready? Listen to me now. I'm going to ask you to give God a chance to be here for the next couple weeks. Come in here, learn for an hour. We'll have just like services, pretty much just like this every week, four services. And be, I'm not asking you to become a member of South Hills. I'm not asking you to even join the church or anything. I'm just asking you for the next couple weeks to give God a chance. So here's how we're going to do that. We're going to take these hands right here. And by the way, a little time out. Your kids are doing it right now, just so you know, because they got issues too. And we think God can help them as well. Your kids are doing this too, so don't let them down. Now, with this hand here, I want you to write down that issue. Could you do that right now? Whatever, whatever, if there's that one, not, not a sin, whatever that issue is, what's your issue? Thing that you wish could broken relationship, hurt, resentment, bad habit, write it down. Everybody go, just do it right now. Go ahead. Just take 20 seconds and write it down. Everybody, come on. You're not sitting here without something you wish would change. Everybody's got something they wish would get. Man, this is so evil get a little better. Take a moment and write that down, would you? Everybody. Everybody write it down. And if you don't have the hand to write with, don't, or this, this hand here, or a pen, or, or, uh, or just this hand, I mean, uh, they're up here where you're going to be coming in just a moment. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dismiss this way, okay? We're going to dismiss in that in just a moment, the band, I'll have you stand up. In a moment, I'll have the band will play. And that's our official dismissal. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to show you how to do it to make sure the flow is right. To take it. There are going to be some people up here that will help you with these little tacks. And they're going to, And what you're going to do is take a tack. And you're going to put it in right here. And you're just going to put it down right there. Now, if you don't want you know, your issues showing up front, then turn it over. That's fine. And what you're really saying is this. God, here's my issue. For the next couple of weeks, I give it to you. I'm giving you a chance, God. I'm giving you a chance. All you're doing is writing your issue and saying, here, God, I'm putting it into your hand and I'm giving you a chance. Then just be here for the next couple of weeks after that. That's cool. But just, and, and be here and learn and grow. Now, here's how the best way is to do it. If you're in these two sections, if you could come out this way, then come down and use that board right over. Th- We're not even at decision theology anymore and praying the sinner's prayer. We're just down to let's give God a chance there and then exit on the far aisle. That would be great. Everybody this way and then exit out the far aisle. If you're here in these two, if you could go this way, all everybody go this way, leave this one empty, come up to this side, come up to this side, post it there, and then head up the center aisle. And then you folks over here, listen up. If you could come this way, you're coming this way towards me, then coming down and then going towards that one, and then exiting on that last aisle right there on the very outside. That would make it really easy. If you don't want to do this, you don't have to. But I hope that you do, because here's the choices. You can either stay the same with those once and for all issues, or you can at least give God a chance. Oh, you have got to be kidding me. This is just an abomination. I don't think you have anything to lose, and you got everything to gain. Your soul. You. This is not Christianity. Everything to gain. Well, there you have it. There's uh, Chris Sonson, and... Uh, 
giving God a chance. Two, one, two, three, four. That's right. Come on, folks. Sing along. All we are saying, <laughs> that's right, is give God a chance. Is give God a chance. That's right. Come on. Clap your hands like you mean it, folks. Sit. Sing it with sincerity. And you can be saved right now. Give God a chance. Come on. Give God a chance. You can do it. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm flabbergasted. I just, um, Yeah. folks this is what's being passed off as christianity today by these seeker driven purpose driven seeker sensitive pastors and i come back to the question i asked earlier are you willing to do for the truth what these guys are doing for a lie that's walter martin's line regarding the cults The Christian gospel, the call of the gospel is not give God a chance. The scriptures tell us that we are by nature sinful and rebellious against God, that we are children of the devil and at war with him, and we cannot love him, and we will not love him, and we do not love him. And we won't give him a chance because we want him dead and we want to be God ourselves. The scriptures make it clear that we sin daily and sin much because we do not love God with all of our heart and we definitely don't love our neighbors as ourselves because we definitely do love ourselves. That's the problem. Jesus didn't die on the cross to once and for all solve your issues and heal your little scars and boo-boos and psychological foibles and upsets. He took on your sin and was punished on the cross in your place because of your sin, your rebellion, your wickedness. And he's offering you full and complete pardon in Jesus Christ for your sins. And the call of the gospel is repent and believe this good news for you. Nothing about giving God a chance. Nowhere do you see that in Scripture. Nowhere is that in Scripture. That is... Just an abomination. That's right. Is give God a chance. Yeah, that's just an abomination. Well, sadly, we're at the end of another program. 
And uh, don't worry, we'll be throwing in a, an emergency gospel sermon after hearing that. That Oh, man, was that bad. I want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, which means that your financial support is vital for us to continue bringing you this important discernment radio outreach. You can partner with us by visiting fightingforthefaith.com on the Internet and clicking on the Donate button. Or if you'd like to uh, partner with us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. want to remind you, tomorrow, got Evan Gagline from Table Talk Radio in studio with me tomorrow. And we are going to be doing a debrief on our uh, field trip to Granger Community Church. And sadly, I like I've said... Uh, we heard lots of law, but we did not hear the gospel. And we're going to take apart, uh, blow by blow, our trip to uh, Granger Community Church and uh, basically parse it for you theologically so that you can know what it is that uh, we experienced while we were there. If you would like to email me, you can. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Until next time. May God richly bless you in his grace and mercy for you in Jesus Christ and his shed blood for you on the cross.